Welcome to another episode of Odyssey and Muse. I'm John Jerko, and this is a podcast where we explore adventure, creativity, and living life without a map. In this episode, I'll be talking with my friend Frank Fleming. He's an adventurer and an owner-operator of his own lawn care service in Vancouver, Canada. It's more than that. Frank is interested in sustainable ecosystems and converting lawns into gardens. Talk about that and more in this episode. Uh, but first, I need to apologize for the technical difficulties. Kind of had a heck of a time trying to connect over Skype, so the audio is a bit sketchy for the first 20 minutes or so. But uh, the conversation makes up for the blips, so power through it, and I think you'll you'll be happy. All right, so welcome to the show, Frank. How you been doing? I've been doing wonderful. So uh, you're up in Vancouver, right? Yeah, Vancouver, BC. Up in uh, Canada, the land of maple syrup. How's the weather been out there? You guys been getting some decent decent sun? Uh, it's kind of crazy right now, actually. Um, there's a massive forest fire, like actually three massive forest fires just north of Vancouver. Oh, really? Wow. Uh, yeah, one north of Whistler and another one on the Sunshine Coast a little further up. And uh, Vancouver's just been like in a cloud of smoke for the last like three days. Wow. Is there, are you guys kind of in a drought state there too? Because I know like oh, yeah, the whole it's, West it's, Coast, like California, even up in the Washington and Oregon, I didn't realize it was that bad all the way up that way too. Oh yeah, man. We haven't had rain uh, since April. Wow. That's really, that's really pretty bad. unusual for you guys too, right? You're, you're supposed to be the rainy Pacific Northwest. <laughs> yeah, it's been crazy, man. It's actually, it's getting really frightening. Like uh, for me as a guy who works in uh, horticulture, like landscaping, like everything is dead and you can't be planting. I've done a lot of installs like over the last few months of getting people's gardens going and the city's hit like a very rigid water ban. You're only allowed to water your lawn and garden once a week. Oh, and wow. so anybody who's putting new plants in, they're all just dying because there's there's no rainfall. So they can't keep themselves alive. Was it like this last year for you guys too? Or is this the, the first year it's uh, really hit hard? A little bit. I mean, last year wasn't good, but we still, um, usually what happens in Vancouver is we have this like joke of a month called January. So... <laughs> Yeah, so May comes in, and May is like hot as hell. We all get excited. Everybody starts running down to the beach, and then June hits, and we get like Arctic winds, and it gets really cold, and it rains for a month, oh, and then crazy. summer comes in, and it's it's good to go. Everything's like moist. Like that. Yeah, exactly. I know in, in LA they have uh, June gloom, they call it, because all the all the cloud coverage seems to come off the water. In the yeah, exactly. That's that heat finally hits. <laughs> yeah, fog exactly. Rolling in. So I want to talk with you about, you know, some of your adventures and some of your trips. We met on our, we were each doing a bike tour down the West Coast last summer. And uh, I was doing a solo one and you were with your buddy Thomas. And yeah. we kind of just happened to meet up somewhere in Oregon with a group of other randoms and uh, had a blast riding down the coast. So I kind of want to talk about some of your adventures and also, you know, a, l- a little bit about what you do with the horticulture and planting and sustainability and kind of your views on all that because i think it's pretty interesting stuff so maybe maybe let's just start with uh you had like a little side trip you were we were talking about before the show um this, yeah. this past weekend what did you what'd you do uh well actually it was it just kind of worked out it was sort of funny i don't know if you're i mean you're on facebook there was that thing um who is your soulmate was going around everybody was hopping on that oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and so i filled that out and i got this uh friend of mine i met at a festival like years back Mm-hmm. uh cat cat hamill and uh so i just sent her a message i'm like cat what the hell it says we're soulmates like we never see each other obviously <laughs> she's directed and through that i found out her boyfriend ollie had just gotten a job uh doing videography at this music festival and so he needed to get rid of his ticket and i was like well i don't have anything to do that weekend i'm like screw it i'm like i'll bike to this music festival and oh, they're that's like, awesome are you sure 
And I was like, well, why not? They're like, well, it's in Port Renfrew. I'm like, well, it's not too far. It's like 140K. They're like, on top of the mountain. And I'm like, well, <laughs> sure, it'll be fine. <laughs> you're, you're kind of known for these like uh, crazy bike trips. Like, yeah, I'll get there in a day. <laughs> I, yeah, remember, exactly. I remember you told some other story. Maybe you could tell that one too. But <laughs> yeah. anyways, continue. Uh, well, this one, it worked out great. So I had a friend in Vic, so I crashed at her place uh, for the night, which was good to catch up. And then decided that I would be able to make it to Port Renfrew and, you know, in one day of riding. So I uh, left at 8 a.m. and, you know, biked for three hours before even getting breakfast. Because I was just like, okay, I need to get, like, some miles done. Like, it's miles done. And also, I kept, my goal was to find a nice cafe. Because, like, Vancouver Island's just, like, full of little oh, small yeah. towns. Yeah, it's got little cafes. It's so pretty out there, right? But uh, I'm going down the, the Galloping Goose Trail, which you would have crossed when you were going down the Lockside yeah. uh, last summer. Is that is that the one that kind of goes northwest, that trail? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Such a good trail, right? <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I'm going down that for like a good 30K. And everyone I, I keep getting to on the trail and asking where I can find breakfast keeps being like, oh, there's a Timmy's around the corner. And you're like, oh, get yourself a bagel there. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I won't do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the island. It's wonderful out here. Yeah, like I don't want Timmy's. <laughs> right? I don't want no Timmy's. I've had Timmy's. I want a legit cafe. <laughs> yeah. And so I didn't find one until I got into a little town called Machosin. And that was lovely. They had what they called French toast, but was actually uh, bread pudding uh, with like maple syrup and like creme fraiche. Like oh, so decadent, overly loaded with calories. And I still managed to also order a breakfast sandwich before I walked away from the counter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that was good. Got chatting with some um, some guys that were out racing that day, like in their you know the full. Oh, they had their full uh, kit spandex. on and everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Full spandex gear, and while I'm in like a pair of cargo shorts and like a beater, <laughs> to like desperately trying to keep the sunburn away. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of the beauty of just going out on these little trips. You just meet so many people, and you know people just open up to you and talk. And I mean, you're you're a pretty personable person, anyways. So <laughs> I'm yeah, sure, sure you go anywhere. But for me, I'm a little bit more you know, maybe a little more shy. So I don't, when I get out there on the road, it's just, it seems like it's easier to meet people and talk to people. And, and, you know, I guess it's a conversation starter to be like, Hey, I'm on this bicycle going a hundred miles or what. Yeah, exactly. Right. And like, it's, it just brings people in. And like you said, it's a conversation starter. And also like, I think anytime that you're in transit and you're traveling, you just become, uh, like, like a hero to so many people that like, just want to be living that lifestyle. That's true are caught in the nine to five or caught in the drudgery. And so they just see you as like a window into their own lives. It's yeah, like, wow, they, like they live vicariously. This person's doing it. Like maybe I could find out how they got there. Like how did they find responsibilities of life and all these appointments and meetings and things that we find uh, to be so important. And exactly. so, yeah, you're just kind of like a symbol for them. It's like a little shiny beacon of hope. So they, yeah, I think you definitely attract people even if you're not very uh, conversational. Yeah. And, also, I mean, you got so much adrenaline and like uh, endorphins pumping through your body. It's hard <laughs> That's not true. to be like in a good you got mood. the sun on you and you're feeling good. Yeah. Blood's pumping. Yeah, it's the best feeling in the world, man. I'll, I'll get as many trips in as I can. And there's nothing like uh, that West Coast trip. I feel like it was it was also full of great cafes. And every morning we'd start off by <laughs> like, where's the next cafe? We need pancakes. <laughs> Damn it, we need pancakes. <laughs> Load up on pancakes. And then it's the, it's, it was my fuel for the big climbs. I'm like, there's a big climb coming up. Yeah, I, I need the big platter of pancakes. <laughs> Just make sure you don't get the apple fritter because oh god, that was a terrible idea. Not a good investment. Yeah, <laughs> oh, still hurting from that one. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Oh but, man. So what? How how late in the day was it when you made it to that concert? 
Uh, well, I actually uh, didn't make it all the way on my bike. I was coming up uh, <laughs> one of my last uh, hill climbs, and uh, this girl just pulled over as I was like going across this bridge, and she just kind of like yells out the window, like, uh, "Like, can I please give you a ride? <laughs> You're going to the festival, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I am. Like, I'm I'm okay though. Like, I'm gonna make it." And she's like, "I know, I know, but like, I'm driving by myself." And I already feel bad about not carpooling. And then I see you <laughs> on your bike and I feel even worse because you're like totally like just – please give me a ride. I'm also lonely. I need someone to talk to. <laughs> I was just like, you know what? Like sure. Yeah, um, like, I've been biking since 8 a.m. It's like 6. I'm like, I'm yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm that's good. A long day. Like, I could totally just use a ride. So <laughs> she ended up giving me a boost uh, into town. And then I helped her find the festival because she was getting lost like everywhere she was turning. <laughs> and then – just like the whole way down the road too she's like do we turn here and i'm like no it's it's straight the whole way she's like but we turn here and i'm like no no just straight, straight <laughs> keep, going, keep going <laughs> keep going so you became but, uh, a guide <laughs> yeah and i'm actually i'm really glad i got that ride too because like the it's called tall trees festival but there are no tall trees left at this festival it's oh, like really? a cut block like on top of a mountain yeah um and it's just like a dirt road like a dirt logging road to get up there but it's been so dry that the dirt has like transitioned into just sand like powder uh that's not fun so, to ride through no i'd be pushing my bike up a mountain like with all my gear uh. on it and thing. like yeah <laughs> you, you've done a few of those pushes you know it's not good yeah day. yeah some of those like, beach campsites you, you sink into that sand you're like uh-oh uh-oh <laughs> especially with a loaded bike it just wants to fall yeah. over you're like oh this isn't yeah cool. then you're just watching it get into your chain and you're like oh god i'm not gonna clean that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> blow some water on it or something yeah which it was in short supply too which was kind of funny because they had these uh big like water tanks up there for you to get your drinking water from yeah. like up the mountain with these big signs on them like you know think about how you're using your water like conserve waters for drinking like blah blah, blah. and then every day at like the hottest hour of the day like one two o'clock they'd come out with a fire hose and just hose down the audience <laughs> <laughs> like, it probably felt awesome stuff? <laughs> it was amazing yeah it's totally amazing i went straight for it it was like the only shower i got like each day was getting into the <laughs> hit me with those <laughs> totally oh and on the third the, the last day on the sunday they rolled out a massive slip and slide like over uh, top of park mulch which was less than ideal uh but <laughs> didn't think of that i one. saw the girl going out and putting soap on it and i was so dirty and like we tried to get to the lake that day but the shuttle wasn't running yeah and i'm just like covered in sweat and sunscreen and that like road grime and I'm just like, oh, I just need this so bad. And then I saw her dumping soap on the slip and slide, and I like pushed people out of the way to like, like get to it. <laughs> slip and slide bad. Oh man, it was so good. I guess good advice I got from a Kurt Vonnegut novel when I was younger, and it was just like when an opportunity presents itself, or like you meet someone who you think uh, could bring you places in life, just go. Yeah. And see where it takes you. Those are usually the best because memories. It's too. Probably going to be a good idea. It's probably going to be a good thing. Where did this? Uh... This whole drive to do little impromptu adventures, and you—you you seem like more of a person that's about experience versus having things. And I'm just kind of curious where that all started, and like when—when when did you start doing kind of like little getaways and and backpacking and cycling and stuff like that? Um, I think I could kind of blame it on uh on my aunt for starters. Uh, I said this habit of like when I was like a little kid, like I came from like a pretty poor family and uh, we didn't have any money. And my aunt used to just like take me away on these little like adventures. Like she just picked me up uh, on like a Saturday morning and then just like screw off into the interior, like uh, go to like some random town for like a, a totem pole carving contest or 
you know, off to like the island for like a sandcastle competition or like down to the wax museum or something, you know, it was just always these little trips. And with this um, kind of mentality from my family of like, don't spend money. Like we don't have money. Don't spend yeah. money. I always get super guilty and just be like, auntie, I'm like, stop, like, don't spend this on me. Like, don't, don't like, I don't, I don't deserve it. I don't want it. And she'd always just say to me like, Hey, like I might get hit by a bus tomorrow. Yeah. And if I do, what good is money going to do? You know, like you can't take it with you. Enjoy yourself. And I think that always kind of stuck with me. And I always really enjoyed those trips more than like any trinket or toy or video game system or anything that might have come into my life. So I think that kind of just was bred into me from a young age that like experiences has more value. Like memories have, have way more value than any object you can keep. Yeah. Cause something, that, something that you buy, you know, it, it might seem novel and exciting for the first week or two, but then it's just something else sitting on the shelf. <laughs> Where, yeah, I, whereas it, like a, a simple like weekend in the mountains or something can, you know, have years of storytelling. <laughs> for sure. You know, like how long are you going to be telling people about that trip down the coast? Yeah, uh, exactly. Of you your friends uh, or people, you know, acquaintances are doing that same trip and they come to you for advice and they come to you with, like, you know, to, to hear your stories about yeah. that trip. They want to go create their own. Yeah, exactly. Do, do you know that Russ is actually up your way right now? He's yeah, trying, he's, he's coming up. up uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try to catch him on Vancouver Island. It's just the timing's kind of unfortunate because he's coming through um, when I've got to go to Kamloops for a wedding. Oh, that makes it a little so, tough. This wedding has totally been throwing a wrench into so many other things. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, people only get married once. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess it's worth oh. it. <laughs> I guess. I mean, geez. Could have done it this weekend, you know, it would have been much better. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, maybe just go into a little bit of how you how you got started with the whole landscaping business and got into all that. Okay. Okay, sounds good. Um, so, yeah, the short form of the story of uh, Frank becoming a professional landscaper and <laughs> quote-unquote professional uh, was that I basically needed some quick cash and came back from some travels and got a job working for a moving company where the owner was also the owner of a small landscaping company. Um, except, well, it wasn't really landscaping, it was just lawn maintenance, like specifically, like all mm -hmm. he does is cut grass. And I did that as like a 16-year-old, as many 16-year-olds did, you know, just driving around in a pickup truck, smoking tons of weed and mowing <laughs> people's lawns. And it's so not I that bad. That, yeah, it's not a bad gig, you know? I mean, I used to do it for 10 bucks an hour, and now I charge 55, so yeah. I mean, it's certainly a much better quality of life uh -huh. <laughs> but, uh, and smoking much less weed because you know you don't want to be talking to your clients while you're all <laughs> yeah, exactly i think it's a magnolia man <laughs> they're beautiful beautiful <laughs> but i basically ended up with the business because the owner uh was not very good at it like and he also he'd had a child and he didn't have the time to invest into it and it just wasn't a passion of his like yeah. like it was for me and he'd been listening to me talk his ear off about uh, sustainable design and uh, the global tipping point for carbon emissions and like all this kind of stuff. How, how did you get into all of that? Because I feel like that really fueled your your desire to take take this business over and do something different with it. Al Gore. Al Gore. <laughs> it's Al Gore. He invented the internet and inspired you. <laughs> he certainly did. <laughs> Yeah, actually, no, the the big one for me was, well, I got really into documentaries when I was uh, probably like 15 or 16. I really thank my brother for that. He exposed me to a lot of cool stuff at that age. Um, and the big ones were The Corporation and An Inconvenient Truth. Um, 
And it that was, was Al Gore. <laughs> yeah, it was Al Gore. It was definitely Al Gore. He got me going, man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was just when I kind of realized um, sort of where mankind was at as far as our stability and just kind of when I started to see, uh, I mean, I don't want to get into a conspiracy theory, but like, you know, the powers of be and how powerful they really are and mm-hmm. how they affect our lives, and especially with things like marketing and with media and all this kind of stuff, I really got jaded, like super, super jaded uh, about everything. Like I quit shopping at like every store. I was boycotting everything, yeah. trying to make yeah. all my own food, like doing anything I could to not be a part of the of the system and grew tired of it after a while. I mean, because it's just, it is an excessive amount of work if you actually want to be an informed consumer because they don't want you to be. I mean, they don't publish that the information about yeah, it. Yeah, they feed you their line and, and that's it. <laughs> Yeah, and they hope that you're just going to take it at service value and then move on and, you know, continue on with your life. And I think uh, people do not because they're not interested or they don't care, but just because they don't have the time, you know, especially in a society nowadays where you've got uh, you've got to have two working parents if you're going to have a family because money just doesn't come as easy as it used to, you know. Uh I mean, there are a lot of schemes that are popping up quickly. I mean, but to keep a a family going, it takes a heck of a lot more work than it used to take like 30, 40 years ago. So if you want to do all that and have a comfortable life and then you're going to spend like four hours of research, like finding out where your salt came from, (laughs) you know, it's just after a while you just kind of give up. Yeah. You can only, you can only do so much, but try to try to keep an awareness. But like like you said, you can go down that rabbit hole and just (laughs) become totally paranoid and and cynical and just, yeah, and I, I was there for a long time. I used to like yell at my friends for like buying a craft dinner or something. Yeah. Like, Do you know about like the deforestation that happened in Africa in like 1995? <laughs> and they were shooting villagers to make sure that they had this plantation so they could get the ground beef that's sold under, you know, like hamburger helper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember. I remember. I went through a period of time where I was watching like Infowars and all those websites and conspiracy yeah. movies and. After like three months of it, I was like, I've got to stop this. <laughs> right? Because it just, it gets to it your head. It sucks you yeah. in, yeah. Yeah, it totally gets in your head and you just can't be Like how much of this is real and how much isn't? I don't know, but I know, I know some of it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, every piece of fiction has a grain of truth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So were at, was this at the time when you were working the landscaping job and where you kind of started to make these connections between what you could do with like sustainable planning and stuff like that or yeah it's when it's kind of opened my eyes because I mean I was really into permaculture like just before I bought the business I started uh researching this guy Jeff Lawton out in Australia who's kind of like a Jesus figure for me mm-hmm. um awesome man a really amazing man there's a great little YouTube video I recommend to anybody to watch uh called Regreening the Desert and he got hired by uh the country of Jordan to fix their agriculture industry because their current system was basically just setting up these poly greenhouses like in the desert and then just spraying tons of chemicals and like tons of pesticides and herbicides and trying to do what's called uh, uh, salt washing. So they're like on the Dead Sea. And Uh so it's like the saltiest earth anywhere on the planet. And as most laymen's know, like plants don't like to grow in salt. Like there's a reason why you go down to the ocean side, there's only a few plants that'll (laughs) down there. But it's all like this all the way through Jordan. It's just like the remnants of the Dead Sea. And simply by uh, planting like hardy uh, pioneering trees, like trees that don't produce food, trees Mm -hmm. that, you know, aren't going to be useful for man, like theoretically, and then taking their leaf droppings and their, their mulch and covering the areas that they're growing, 
he started to create fungus and he started to create like a like a bio uh, network in the soil, like actual living organisms started yeah. to show up. And once that happened, they started uh, like the fungus itself, the mushrooms would put this kind of spongy material around the salt and just make it inert so that it was no longer available to the plants. Like the plants. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Salt wasn't even there. Yeah. yeah and in a matter of uh, six months, he took an area that was just like just blasted earth, like, you know, just as bad as it gets, like the surface of Mars. And he had a full uh, like uh, orchard going of like pomegranates and like limes and lemons and oranges and figs and wow, all these that's pretty impressive right and so i saw this guy and i was just like holy crap i'm like this guy can literally turn water into wine like he's he knows what he's doing yeah and so it was at that point that i was started thinking like okay like what can i do like in my own backyard and my adversary at that time was was lawns i'm like okay i'm like we got all this grass like mm-hmm. what are we doing with this grass like it seems like it's totally useless um and so that was my campaign in the beginning was just to try to talk people out of their lawns which was basically to put myself out of business was my goal so <laughs> you, you would get hired uh, to mow some lawns then you'd be like well let's talk about your lawn yeah exactly <laughs> and that was kind of the thing but uh i mean my ideals slowly um kind of got whittled away as like the desperation of finance came yeah. in and <laughs> you're I, like I, okay I, i'll mow it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll mow it, I'll mow it, I'll mow it, I'll keep it, like whatever I can do to keep going. But uh, over the, basically like with my in, and like in the beginning I used to just kind of preach to my clients and like talk to them and try to like offer solutions, but I realized I didn't know enough about what I'm doing because like I'm not a horticulturalist yet. I'm yeah. not uh, a botanist. I don't know enough about these things to be able to make proper recommendations. So uh, at that point I switched to what I did know, and that was organic lawn care. And that's really simple. That's super, super simple. Just quit using herbicides, quit using pesticides, limit the amount of uh, chemical fertilizers that you're using uh-huh. and try to just, um, use organic compost in your lawn and gardens, uh, water like sustainably. And also don't be cutting your grass like super short. Cause that's the biggest thing that, uh, most people do wrong is they try to cut their lawn down. Like it's a golf course and they keep it like, you know, like half an inch off the ground. Yeah. Does it just and, dry it out and kill it basically? Yeah, exactly. And also it's got no ability to retain moisture. Uh-huh. And the other thing is that like grass, like every plant species on the planet is a perennial. I mean, we have this classification of annuals and perennials in gardening, but annual is basically a perennial that you're planting in the wrong climate. So <laughs> there's no such thing as a plant that won't regrow, that won't like seed or, you know, like try to. Oh, okay. So it actually just kills it in the winter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, gotta like, you took a plant from Florida and you brought it to the Arctic. That makes just, sense. Like, you could have flowers. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I realized that, I was like, okay, people are stupid. <laughs> we need to, We need to work with that. So but, uh, have you kind of grown now to where you actually have have um, have some projects where you're actually implementing some of these these dreams that you had early on? <laughs> yeah, and actually it's been really great. And my main push as of right now, it's also a very selfish one, is to put uh, food into everybody's properties, uh, specifically berries and like uh, perennial crops like that. That's so, a pretty awesome idea, actually. That's <laughs> uh, great because you're driving around, like, you know, hopping in and out of the place. You're there for like 15 minutes, you know, every couple of weeks. And if you structure the right plants, you've got snacks at every property. Yeah. Oh, that's like, for you, too. That's <laughs> yeah, saying. exactly. Right. <laughs> I like and that for, idea. For, you know, and for the client, everybody's got Well, it. we got to make sure that they're growing well. Let's try a few of these. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, the raspberries are doing good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Blackberries are looking nice. Isn't that an invasive? Shh. Well, I mean, that's, it's just such a, 
better way to live too. I mean, it, if I, th- I feel like that's one of the biggest issues with our um, our food sources now. Like California is in such a terrible drought, and so much of our food is centralized there. Yep. Like if you decentralize it and everyone grew even just a little bit, like you're saying, you don't have to grow. Yep. You don't have to have a giant garden. But if everyone had had a few things here and there, just have to worry salads, about it. man. Like if you started yeah. growing your own greens, like if every single person started growing their own greens, that would just be a huge shift. And they're so easy. Like they're ridiculously easy. They'll grow in shade. They'll grow in sun. They don't need a ton of water. They don't need a ton of compost. Like they just, they just grow. It's really easy to have like a little lettuce bed and also your herbs and stuff like that. And yeah, if we could get that even on like a micro scale, like just everybody doing that. And then, you know, as far as like rich people who don't want to deal with, or just finicky people who don't want to deal with gardens or like, you know, bugs and like the natural environment. Cause I definitely get those clients who are like, can you please come like remove this bush? Like bees are always buzzing around it. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that that's good. It's called pollination. <laughs> yeah. It's this wonderful process yeah, <laughs> where plants and bugs get it on and then more <laughs> plants and more bugs. It's, yeah, it's they're not, they're thing. not just hanging out there waiting for you to come out so they can bite you. <laughs> no. And they, they don't actually, they don't have an interest in You're that. You're not that they're special. Kind of, that's suicide. <laughs> like they're not going to do that. Just leave them alone. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I mean, for people who are like that, who just can't deal, uh, I saw this awesome thing going around on a website and it was like the, the food closet you can like build into your house and it's just like a stack of lights that you put in your kitchen right next to the fridge uh-huh. and you have all your greens constantly being produced and like microgreens constantly being produced right in your kitchen beside the stove. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah. And it's not that huge of an energy burden. I mean, you could, you could supplement that with solar or anything like that to kind of keep the, the energy cost down. But also if you relate the amount of, uh, cost of getting those vegetables, like say whatever you're producing now, you don't have to ship that. That doesn't have to get driven from wherever it's produced to the store and then home. Mm-hmm. So that kind of balances out the energy use right there. Yeah. You don't think about, I mean, between the pesticides, the gasoline, just to ship it around yeah. and you know, the, the labor costs and it's not that hard to plant some seeds, <laughs> right? It's really not, uh, or to hire someone to do it for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, there's there's lots of options in that way that we can like slowly uh, kind of mitigate what we're doing, and then there's uh, some more radical concepts like uh, the kid I got working for me, Angus uh, Angus Johnson, is a wonderful sort. He's um, working on getting this Soylent business off the ground. Have uh-huh. you ever Soylent? Yeah, like the not not like the movie, but like the actual like drink that has a lot of nutritional value. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a, it's, wasn't it's, the, a, yeah. it's kind of like a a joke on the whole movie with the Soylent Green or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Soylent Green is people grinding up people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Which honestly, like, I don't think it's a terrible idea. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Something with people, you <laughs> yeah, know. Exactly. Natural causes, you know, let them die on their own first, but like. Yeah, let corporations get in there, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, once it becomes a popular thing, people aren't dying fast enough, and it's like we're running out of soil and we're going to need more. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, then it might get out of control. So he's actually uh, a part of this, or he's into it? I I haven't tried it, but I've heard about it a little bit. I've tasted it. I haven't gotten into uh, the consumption of it, like, fully, but. uh, he makes his own, so he gets uh, the different mixtures of powders and everything that he needs to uh-huh. put the mix together, and uh, does it up. And it's it's amazing how much nutrition you get out of like a small little bag of powder. And as far as storage, until you actually add water, it's it's inert, like it's like a flower. It's not yeah. going to go bad on you. So actually, as far as for guys like us that are doing touring, it's actually a great uh, thing to have in your bag. Oh, that's kind of an interesting idea, yeah, because you get yeah. tons of 
nutritional value and minimal storage space. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. So it's, it's really neat. And the cool thing with it is, is, um, it's all basic ingredients. Like I, I couldn't tell you the formulas. Angus would be the better guy to talk to. I might recommend him to one of your next yeah, uh, yeah. That'd be cool. podcasts. Um, but basically you've got all the basic nutrients in it you need and you can acquire those from many different resources. And one of them that they're talking about using is uh, algae because algae is like an incredibly sustainable crop. And what the idea is is that you would make these big algae vats like using shipping containers or like what have you, anything that's watertight. Uh-huh. And you fill it full of liquid. You put the algae in uh, with some kind of a food stuff, which is often just garbage, like uh, landscape clippings. You know, like anything that's kind of like a waste product for uh, for man. You could feed it to the algae as long as it's got the right nutritional compounds. Yeah. There. And then at the same time, they're just photosynthesizing. It's um, it's going to be pulling um, carbon dioxide and nitrogen out of the air and sunlight in, and then producing oxygen and food. And so right there, you've got something that can feed mankind, that it can be a huge, easily manufactured foodstuff, and at the same time is going to mitigate climate change. That's pretty awesome. So it's, it's basically solar-powered food. Exactly. Which, I mean, right? which all plants which are. All but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. even, exactly. even meat is, you know, eats plants, which are solar-powered. Exactly. <laughs> even oil used to be made of yeah, plants exactly. and animals, which that is solar damn powered. sun gives us everything. <laughs> yep. Doesn't ask for anything in return. Though so, soon enough, we're going to start shooting garbage into it, I hope. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Man, watch too many sci-fi movies. Um, yeah. <laughs> but get, getting back to the actual landscaping a little bit, do you, do you have projects where you actually combine, like, in terms of the the visual aesthetic and and a lot of the sustainable stuff and the food? And I mean, is, is that kind of all go into it, or is it – more yeah. about just the sustainable stuff. I mean, uh, like as, as I say to anybody, something that's not desirable isn't sustainable. Yeah. So I mean, that's, that's what I talk. I've got a lot of um, friends who got into agriculture, in agriculture, or into organic farming, or different things like that. And uh, the advice I gave my one buddy, he bought into a co-op just a while ago, which I think is actually working out really well for him, even though I I might have spoken against it in the beginning. Um, was because he was buying debt from this company to become a member of the co-op. And he kind of blew my mind when he said it because I'm like, wait a second, I'm like, you're a landscaping company. I'm like, there can't be that much debt. I mean, it's hand tools and a pickup truck is really all you need to be able to get this business (laughs) off the ground. So I'm like, if they're racking up debt, like that might be a bad business to get into. Um, But he's he's happy and he's healthy and he's he's doing it now. He's working like a dog to get it going. but the most important thing is like you, whenever you're looking at uh, just like your ideals versus um, your productivity, like uh-huh. your ideals might be the most important thing in the world to you. But if you are going to drive yourself into despondency, you're not going to be able to get clients. You're not going to be able to keep yourself afloat. That's not sustainable. So Yeah, you have to have a little bit of the practical side to it. Otherwise, nothing's going to get done. <laughs> exactly. And then you just become another person who's, you know, like leeching off the system and like just trying to get by even though like they're not really doing it well so mm. it's a really delicate balance and it's tough when you are somebody who sees um kind of this onrush that mankind is facing right now of disaster which is just kind of bulldozing forward and people are telling you that they just want their lawn to be like green and high and like they want to water it five times a day and you're just like uh it's no like there's a better way <laughs> like you know there's yeah. a better way we can do this differently it's so hard it's just such a disconnect i mean I, i'm guilty of it all too i mean i've go through periods where i'm 
recycling and doing stuff like that but then you you know get sidetracked and you just kind of live in your life and you know it's it's easy when the systems are built in your community to take advantage mm-hmm. of them but if you live somewhere where you have to do it on your own it becomes a lot tougher <laughs> totally and, unless you like are willing to fully dedicate yourself to yeah. it which is not uh it's not reasonable you know yeah it's tough so it's as, especially people that don't even think about it or haven't thought about it it's like how do you get to them you know yeah and the answer is always through the children like it's honestly through the children. Like I really want to see, um, volunteer groups. And actually I've been talking about, uh, with talking about this with a friend of mine who's volunteering for one of the political parties in Canada right now about doing uh, child to parent education systems uh-huh. where we'll take the kids in to do a workshop and like, I'll teach them a little bit about sustainable gardening or about uh, composting, about uh, habitat creation for insects and animals and then you give the kid homework and the homework is you go home and teach your parent and then you have to get your parent to write an essay on this <laughs> I project. <like> this. <laughs> and so it's like making the kid and the parent interact with each other, which is good in, in general. I mean, kids and their parents should be talking more and yeah. should be getting involved with each other. But at the same time, you're getting the kid to educate the parent because the parent might not might say that it doesn't have enough time uh, to do this stuff on their own or they just don't yeah, care. Exactly. But as soon as you hinge the child's grade on the parent's participation, watch how quickly they get involved. That's like, true. You know, and it, it, maybe it doesn't fail. seem as like a as much of a direct threat to them either because if you just go up to an adult and tell them, like, this is how you should live, they, they right off get, you know, standoffish or, you know, feel like yeah. you're attacking their beliefs or something like that. But that's a, that's a really good idea, going, <laughs> going through the children, you know. Exactly. And... Uh, <laughs> It's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's these things that need to happen. I think that's really the only way you're going to reach people because, uh, like, the children, we always talk, like, the children of the future and, like, oh, except for, like, the current prime minister in Canada who, uh, whenever it's asked about climate change or, like, you know, the issues facing mankind, he says his granddaughter will deal with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, nice. That's quoted. Like, you can look that up in the paper. That's a quote from our prime minister. Uh, yeah, you, you do post a lot of political stuff, which is... Uh... It's interesting because, I mean, I'm in the States and I just don't hear that much about Canada, but I get to see all of the stuff that you're posting. I'm like, oh, they they actually have political arguments there, too. Like, no, <laughs> like, no shit, but <laughs> yeah, right. But I'm just yeah. like clueless to it because I'm in my own little world over here. Totally. And the thing is, too, is like especially being in America, like you guys have such a loud voice. You know, like I know a lot about your politics just because yeah. they're fucking interesting they're really interesting <laughs> and the people who are doing them are really charismatic people like your president is a fucking awesome talker i yeah, love to hear obama yeah. speak and then you've got up in canada where it's like you've got all these like semi-mute uh very dull <laughs> politicians you know and it's just like why would anyone care uh, that's you funny <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny it's, it's weird being a canadian i gotta say because you've got the loudest neighbor uh, in the world, and then on the other side of you is just the peace and quiet. Yeah, of, there's there's you know? nothing, nothing on one side, and yeah, craziness and everything the on the other. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. Yeah, it's <laughs> at least you you can escape from the border and hide in the woods. <laughs> That's the thing, but like now all the forests are on fire, so it's like ah, oh, oh, I can't do that, man. <laughs> That's crazy. It's it's scary because I know California. They're like in the four or five years now in uh, yeah. LA and I think they're finally I, I was living there a year ago for two years and there was no water rationing or anything and I'm like how are we not you know no one's saying really? anything about th- yeah <laughs> I mean, really? there, was, there was nothing and I don't even know if there still is maybe in some areas but there's, there's got to be now I mean it's getting oh, really bad 
but it's all, all I gotta say though for American policy on like uh, like dealing with droughts, just look at Vegas, man. Like all you gotta oh, do is look at Las Vegas. Like let's put massive water fountains and water parks in the middle of a goddamn desert. Uh, like, in Vegas, there's Palm Springs, and you know even Arizona, like yeah. Phoenix and stuff. I remember there was yeah. actually a plan at one time to take water from the Great Lakes and funnel it down to Phoenix. <laughs> And luckily, the Great Lakes area, they, they just said, no way. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, doing you guys have been trying to do it with Canada, too. There was That's... a big push to get uh, water onto NAFTA. Um, oh, really? So that way, we would have to start trucking water into the States to, like, you know, keep you guys supplied. Oh, and uh, fortunately, our, our prime minister at the time didn't allow that to happen. But, yeah, uh, yeah. that one, like, <laughs> scares the hell out of me, man, because, like, honestly, like, there's, there's a lot of a lot of thirst down there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and like I, I was even reading a little bit about the, the droughts in California. And over the last thousand years, I mean, there's been 20 to 200 year droughts and they're just, you know, no one was living there. So it wasn't a big deal. And it's like, that's just kind of part of the cycle there. And yeah. it's not, now there's millions and millions of people. You get a 20 year drought. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty devastating. Yeah, especially when it's like the agricultural capital. Yeah, like that. that too. It's like going That's... back to planting your own food in your backyard. <laughs> yeah. Cause, I mean, like that. currently uh, 95% of organic produce in Canada is supplied by California. And I think it's something like 60% or 50% of our produce overall is supplied by California. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's big. Like, cause we don't have a lot of uh, growing season in Canada. So we can't produce a ton of crops. I mean, we've got some places where you can, but usually we put cities there, which is yeah. <laughs> just, just not the right idea. But uh, uh, uh. <laughs> well, let's go back to some a little bit of adventure. I don't. I know um, we talked about this earlier, but I think I might have lost a lot of it. So I don't know if you'd be willing to. Talk a little bit about your first kind of adventure going out there on your own, the whole hitchhiking trip. Maybe we can yeah. retell that story a little bit just so I don't lose it because I don't know how much I ended up getting. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. And I'd like to just kind of actually jump ahead to like the return trip because like I made yeah, it to, yeah. uh, to Revelstoke without uh, any real like happenings. Like it was a pretty, uh, pretty good time. And then uh, from there, I headed out to Alberta and uh, up to my cousin's place. And I spent Christmas with them, which was pretty adorable. They had a bunch of young kids, and I like slept on the staircase to keep them from going upstairs to like open <laughs> presents before the morning. It's my first like time being a good uncle. Um, but on the way back, they dropped me off in Jasper, and it's uh, dead of winter. Like you know, it's just before New Year's, yeah. and it's probably about like negative ten, negative twenty outside. I've got all of my snowboarding gear on. I've got my boots because they're the best pair of like my snowboard boots because they're the warmest boots I have. Uh-huh. And I've got a backpack on and my snowboard like slung across me in a bag. And uh, my cousin drops me off like at the base of the ski hill. <laughs> and so I'm standing at the base of the ski hill trying to go past it with my thumb out. And every car is pulling over and being like, hey, like, I'll give you right up the hill. And I'm like, no, no, like, <laughs> it's the wrong going way. To the other way, going to Revelstoke. <laughs> And so I'm just watching the entire morning rush of skiers like drive past me and with like every fifth one like offering me a ride to the mountain. And I'm just like, oh, God, I can't take like, this anymore. I'm in the so, wrong spot. <laughs> yeah. So I just start walking. And I'm like, fuck it. Like, I'll just, I'll just walk. I'm like, I'll get a ride eventually. And I walked for about five hours like with all my gear uh, to the point where my feet were numb, like my hands were numb. And I'm just going down through this area called the Ice Fields, which is really beautiful. Yeah. And I actually at one point stopped and like scrawled my name on a bathroom wall 
and like wrote like you know like <laughs> if this is my last uh, <laughs> entry you know like it's been a slice like i love y'all <laughs> and like still haven't gone back there to find that but i'm sure it's still up in the outhouse there it's like you're into the wild moment <laughs> yeah exactly right I, I ate the potato root like why did i do it <laughs> And I'm continuing on down the road and like cars are just going by me. Nobody's stopping. No one's picking me up. And finally at about like, I don't know, like 10 or 11 a.m. after I've been going for five hours, this old couple pulls over and the gentleman who's driving, he's just like, like, do you know where you are? And I'm like, uh, yeah, like I'm just outside Jasper. And he's like, you're 25 kilometers outside of Jasper. <laughs> and I'm wow. like, oh, oh, <laughs> he's like. I never, ever, ever pick up hitchhikers. Like, I've never picked up a yeah. hitchhiker. But you're probably going to die. Like, get in the car. <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks. So is and there then, just, like, nothing else out there ahead of you, basically? No, there's nothing before Lake <laughs> Louise, which was about a six-hour drive. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just, yeah, I'm a long ways from anything. And they get me in the car, and I start chatting a bit, and it, it actually turns out to be the best ride I could get because the guy's been a tour guide in the area for the last, like, 35 years. Oh, uh, that's and awesome. So he's giving you the full tour? <laughs> full tour, man. He's pointing out, like, the ice fields. He's talking about how the glaciers have been melting. And he's like, oh, you know, the ice used to cover the highway at points. We'd have to come down here with icebreakers and salt trucks. And now it's – you see that, like, the tip of the mountain up there? Yeah, that's all the glacier that's left. <laughs> I'm just wow. like, damn. <laughs> like, you've seen some things. That's pretty cool. And that's, so, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, and after about like half an hour of chatting and like just being so appreciative and thanking them like endlessly, I just passed out in the back seat <laughs> for like three hours. Yeah, it's like and, uh, walking around in the cold and then you get that warm air in the car. Oh man, it <laughs> hurts so much too. Like when my feet thawed and my hands uh, thawed, it's like, oh God, the pain. And I think I just blacked out from it. It's like needles. So, oh, total needles everywhere. And then from there, they dropped me off in Lake Louise. And uh, it was another beautiful little ski town. And uh, I stood on the side of the road there for about an hour. And I ended up getting uh, my next ride, which got me all the way to Rebbe uh, from this, like, beautiful, beautiful woman, like, in her early 30s, super friendly. Ended up uh, setting her on a snowboard date with uh, one of my friends. And oh, as nice. soon as I got in, she was like, okay, I'm going to Rebbe 2. This is perfect. There's only one thing you have to do on this drive. And I'm like, what? She's like, you got to keep packing this pipe. <laughs> <laughs> all right so I'm just filling her full of weed <laughs> like we're just smoking like <laughs> all the way down just getting all blitzed and it was super fun and everyone i met on that trip was was super friendly and it really just strengthened my belief that uh if you're willing to put yourself in those situations you're not going to meet scary people because they're they're not the kind of people who pick people up like you're yeah. gonna meet friendly people because those are the types of people who pick up hitchhikers yeah i mean there's there's some scary people out there but i feel like it's, if you do this a little bit you quickly are able to pick up on the the, the vibes of people yeah and you know you just steer clear of those people <laughs> for just, sure you know and, it was uh, like getting to northern california on our bikes yeah, right? exactly i was just telling someone <laughs> about that the other day i was like oregon's beautiful all the people are nice yeah. and then like the first person we see in northern california is like a zombie going <laughs> give me a bicycle like oh wow <laughs> yeah. a little bit of a drug a problem up there a little bit, a little bit but of a still, still beautiful coast. Yeah, I'm from Vancouver, so I know all about it. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> it's like our claim to fame, <laughs> drug addiction. Yeah, yeah, there were some people downtown that were a little, little sketchy. I remember walking around there. <laughs> yeah, if you get down to Maine and Hastings, man. Yeah. Oof. But uh, 
maybe talk a little bit about the that that tour for you. I mean, what how did that all come about? You and Thomas, when did you decide to uh, do that bike tour? Well, it, it kind of was just like a, a compounding thing, you know. Like my first tour uh, just kind of came on a whim. Like I got in, I found a bicycle when I was working as a landscaper. That's when I like started riding uh, racing bikes, and uh-huh. I just got found it on the beach. My job was to clean the beach had to get rid of this bike and so i decided to ride it home from white rock to delta which is like uh probably about like a 25 like 30k ride i love how how organic everything's worked out for you like i was working (laughs) at a moving company that led to me working (laughs) in landscaping where i found the bike (laughs) exactly it's just always always going with the flow man (laughs) my philosophy on life things will things will present themselves to you if you let them and yeah, so this is the way back. This is when I'm like 18, 19. I mm-hmm. found a bicycle on the beach and I started riding uh, probably about 30 kilometers a day, like maybe a, maybe 40, 45 a day to go to work and back because I was working like in a different city. Um, I had to like, you know, commute there. Yeah. And that's yeah. when I started like getting really into long distance biking. I was like, oh man, like this is great. Like I can totally go anywhere on this thing. This is awesome. Just take your time. And then I decided... Uh, when I was going to go visit my buddy Ben, who lives on the very northern tip of Vancouver Island. So uh, you've been out to Vic. If you go all the way to the top, which is like a good, well, from Victoria, about a 400-kilometer uh, drive, um, you get to a town called Port Hardy, which is like the very end of it all. Mm-hmm. He lives mm-hmm. just before there in Port McNeil. And I was going out to visit a friend in Cumberland, uh, which is a little bit north of Nanaimo, which is about 240 kilometers from Port McNeil. And I've got my bike, and I'm like, why am I going to pay for a bus to get up to Port McNeil? I'm like, that's like a waste of 80 bucks. I'm like, screw that. I'll bike there. And I like get on Google and I look, and this is like pretty early in like the Google bicycle days. And Google's like, it'll take you 12 hours of cycling to make it from Cumberland (laughs) to Port McNeil. And I'm like, Hmm, I can do it in 10. (laughs) I like a challenge. (laughs) Took me 16. (laughs) Uh, so that was brutal. Like I didn't have any gear though. Like uh, my buddy, like Tom, who came down the coast, uh-huh. he was going up there. So I gave him all my gear to go hiking when we got to Port McNeil. He took my backpack. I just had like a a loaf of bread and a bunch of water. <laughs> I was like, I got this. Like I totally got this. <laughs> oh man, it was so brutal. I left at like five in the morning, and I made it to Port McNeil at ten p.m. Wow. Yeah, it was. It was savage, and there was a lot of hill climbs on that. Like I think I did about uh, probably like what was it five thousand meters? So like probably close to like ten, like twelve thousand feet of elevation gain like, so, in that day. So, was this the same bike that you went on the tour with? Almost identical. Almost identical. Almost it was okay. like, like yeah, a it was speed. A ten speed Apollo. Yeah. So, I don't know how you guys did those mountains with those ten speeds because <laughs> you you just stand quickly. up on that thing, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just go. Just I mean, I was down in like Granny Gear One and yeah, just like right? cruised along, still struggling. <laughs> you guys were yeah, Psh. yeah. I don't know. It was a bad idea, but actually, the piece of advice I got because when I was going to do that trip, that two hundred forty like kilometer ride that uh-huh. day. I went to a bunch of bike shops ahead of time and I showed them my crappy 10 speed from the eighties and I told them I wanted to fully load it with gear and go adventuring with it. And every bike shop I went to was like, you're an idiot. Like, don't do that. Like, yeah. that's so dumb. Like you're going to kill yourself. You'll never make it out of town. Like you're going to break all your spokes. Like everything's going <laughs> to fall apart. And then finally after like going to a whole bunch of these like kind of upscale bike shops, I went to like an East van, like kind of, you know, poorer bike shop you know like where you find the average joe mm-hmm. and the first guy i met is like what are you doing 
dude, that's awesome. That's super awesome. I was like, I'm like, great. I'm like, cool. You're supportive. Sweet. I need this. Like, like finally someone. <laughs> yeah, please. Cause I'm going to do it. So I need some help. And this guy, I just asked the guy, I'm like, do you have any advice for me? Like before I go? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I do. Just go. You'll sort it out on the road. <laughs> it's so true though. I mean, that's yeah. the best advice you can get because especially nowadays with the internet, I, I think I say this every time I talk about it, but it's so easy to overanalyze and like oh. go into every forum and Google everything you can think about. You're like bears. Where's the bears at? What do I got to do for that? Okay. Uh, yeah, right. totally. What kind of bag should I get? What kind of rack? What kind of, <laughs> it's like, should I get sponsored by corn. Yeah, exactly. Do I need to call corn up? <laughs> <laughs> what corn. will corn say about this? <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, it's so easy to get caught up in that, that you, you become anxious and paralyzed basically. So, I think that's some of the best advice. I mean, if you're going into the desert, definitely make sure you have enough water. Yeah, totally, for sure. <laughs> but outside sure. of that, you know, pretty much just get on the bike and start going. Yeah, and you'll start basics. to figure things out, yeah. totally. I mean, it's, I'm totally guilty of that, too, the overanalyzing, because I've been, like, looking to get a new bike to finally get myself a granny uh -huh. gear after this last trip out to Port Renfrew and just, like, I had this moment where I was coming up this serious mountain climb after, like, cutting down to a beach uh, into this little town called Shirley, and I knew that was my lunch break. Like there's a little cafe there called yeah. Shirley Delicious. A friend of mine told me that I had to go to. It's the best. But I ran out of water at the base of the hill. And it's like 36 degrees Celsius. I guess that's, you know, pushing 100 like uh -huh. in Fahrenheit. That's pretty hot. And I'm just sweating balls, like just having the hardest time getting up this hill to the point where I had to get off and push my bike like the last little bit. Uh. And, oh, man, it was it was just savage. And I just like went into the cafe. Uh, they told them what I was doing and they had free water, like with cups beside it. And I downed three glasses of water. <laughs> and then they're like, do you need anything? I'm like, lemonade. <laughs> Sugar. So at, yeah. Sugar and water, please. And it was at that point that I was like, I need to get a new bike. Like, <laughs> I'm I, killing I myself on these I can't hills. do this anymore. So I started like going on the forums and like looking at it, like what's the best touring bike? Like what's the best gear ratio? And started like going all nuts. And I sent Russ uh, a message being like, should I get this uh, like co-motion Americano, like uh -huh. something like, is it worth it? Do you know anyone who has one? And he's like, dude, that's like a $3,500 bike. He's like, <laughs> you don't need that. He's yeah. like, you know, you don't need that. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're totally right. Like, what am I thinking? That's excessive. So, so did you get this bike that you posted from Craigslist on? Yeah, on I picked the, up a little giant. Yeah, I picked up this little giant. Although I might be uh, selling it to a friend of mine who's also looking for a bike. Um, I'm I'm undecided whether or not it's gonna be the right match for me. Yeah. And uh, my friend Amy uh, wants to start getting into touring, and it's a great like entry level bike. It's awesome. Uh, but I'm planning this like big trip um, across Canada. Uh, maybe next year might be the year after, just depending on what I can do to uh, get the finances in order. Oh, nice. What's what's the kind of tentative plans right now? Uh, well, tentative plan currently is to go east uh -huh. and, and get to Newfoundland. Oh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so basically like a trans-Canadian tour. Yeah, exactly. Which you don't hear that too much. No, like and it. actually everyone I've talked to has said you should drop into the States if you're going to do it and go across America because you're going to get better towns, you're going to have better supplies and all this kind of stuff. But uh, hanging out with this kid Angus and talking Soylent for the last while, it's made me uh -huh. think I should just like fill my bag with Soylent and then just go. <laughs> go into the wild, baby. Yeah, see what I can see. Like part, one of, part of the loose plan is I want to get up into uh, the Canadian Shield 
Um, so that's like northern uh, Saskatchewan. So, you know, going across uh, okay. Canada, you got the Alberta, um, Saskatchewan, and then Manitoba. And from northern Saskatchewan to Manitoba, you've got the Canadian Shield all the way around Hudson Bay. And it's just supposed to be wild out there, like just wolves and caribou and uh, probably at this point, like grizzly bears mating with polar bears and like just all this kind of weirdness. <laughs> all kind of crazy wild animals. Yeah. So I'd really like to get up there. It's been my goal in like my life to, to have an encounter with wolves. So yeah. I'm hoping uh, I can try to find them out there and just do some camping up in the middle of nowhere. That's, that sounds terrifying and invigorating at the same time. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll get showered. Maybe I won't. We'll see how it goes. I'll bring some dog treats and, uh, yeah, you know, but... toss them out. Hey, boys. Just hey, domesticate boys. them. <laughs> That's a great book I read when I was younger by uh, Farley Mowat, who's like a Canadian naturalist uh, and animal, like, behavioral studier. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's called uh, Never Cry Wolf. And he wrote it because the Canadian government hired him to prove that wolves were uh, lowering the populations of caribou and elk too much so that the populations were declining and like people couldn't hunt them anymore. Yeah. And so he went out there and he discovered that the wolves don't even eat caribou or elk. They eat mice. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. You guys are full of shit. (laughs) And then later through his research, because he was like, well, what's actually like lowering these populations? He found out that the current government of Canada was trying to get oil investors into uh, like the North. Uh And so they would pick up these guys from Texas and get into helicopters and they would fly out over a herd of caribou. They would fly circles around them to like kettle them into a small valley. Yeah. And then just shoot all the big bucks. Got them all down. And then go down and like take a trophy home. Wow. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like I think there was an episode of uh, Ted Nugent in Texas shooting up hogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With a machine gun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah from the hill. I mean, they they are like uh, down there. They're an invasive species, and they're kind of like taken over, but. It's, yeah. still, it's still pretty radical to yeah. have Ted Nugent with a machine gun hanging out of a helicopter. helicopter. Right? Yeah. Uh, like those guys that hunt uh, the Burmese pythons down in Florida. That's that's just crazy. Uh, those giant ones. The yeah. People let out of their yeah, aquariums. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And now it's just like devastating the local wildlife. Yeah. Nuts. <laughs> oh, that's That sounds like an awesome tour. And I, I'm kind of slowly, I've been saving up and kind of trying to I, I really want to do like a world tour which sounds crazy but man, yeah it's not just, at all man like That's after good. after that west coast tour it's like i got to the end and i'm like i just want to keep going <laughs> right you don't want to stop i know you meet so and many amazing people uh, and every day is just a new experience right and you're yeah because yeah, I, I feel like every every day when we would stop when we were all riding together we would you know we'd get to camp and then we'd just start telling stories about the day and things would keep coming back and there'd be like, you know, 15, 20 stories between, you know, the four or five of us sitting there and every single day was like that. It was just something new. That's yeah. It was beautiful. Ah, From like the simplest, like you got any water? (laughs) Yeah. Just the dumbest things would be hilarious to us. Sponsored by corn. (laughs) Down in Port Orford. Oh, Irie. We got, we got her so mad with that joke. Uh, she didn't appreciate that yeah, she actually funny. she went out for dinner with tom a little while ago cause she lives up here yeah i yeah. didn't get invited <laughs> she's like leave that frank guy mind i don't want to hear about corn <laughs> she knew i was gonna talk about it too uh, uh, on her call <laughs> what happened <laughs> that's funny oh uh, yeah, that's good oh man so but yeah and actually talk about just keeping going like sort of the loose plan with this trip is to 
is to head east and then get out to Newfoundland and then go south uh, down to Florida and then west across to Cali and then maybe south into Central and South America Yeah. if I can keep it going. I mean, we'll see if I can actually find the finances, but I've just gotten like this. My, my childhood gloom of the world has kind of come back in the last few weeks here after uh, – yeah, there's just this uh, scientist out of the States who published this thing about how we're now currently in the sixth uh, greatest mass extinction, the mass extinction event of the Earth and we're just the science that's coming out just has me more and more like skeptical that we're going to be able to pull ourselves uh, out of the nosedive right you know and it's just at this point it's like i don't see humanity as a whole putting any effort into fixing it and i mean i think one of the i mean the best thing i could do is to just avert my own impact on the planet like what better way to do that to just hop on the bicycle and just go out there and uh stop stop contributing you know that's true. I mean, it's like if you look at some people too. I mean, it's you can really live on like five bucks a day if you want to, you know. And yeah, man, Russ really got it down. He had it. it was science. That's true. He did. He did have it down quite a bit. Have you followed uh, Shireen Taylor at all online? No, I don't know. Yeah, she's. I think she's in her twenty, twenty one, twenty two, something like that. She's pretty young, yeah. and her and her boyfriend are touring around the world right now. I'm actually trying to get her on here one of these days, but they're somewhere down, and uh, I think they're going into Peru right now. Coming Sick. up, coming up out of South America, but I, I believe she aims to stay like under five dollars a day, and she's been doing it for, I think, over a year now, a year and a half maybe. That's ridiculous. So it's it's doable. You don't need that much yeah. money to live for two years on the road at five bucks a day if you don't have a place. Right? Yeah, that's you got to get rid of everything, that but like twenty five hundred a year or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it's not it's not bad really. Yeah. <clears throat> Which I mean, even that that tour down the west coast made me realize how how little you really need totally and how much I mean, fun you can have <laughs> so. yeah i mean all of our expenditures were mainly luxuries you know yeah it was, it's like oh like, here's, a, here's a pub cool yeah, yeah totally here's some beer <laughs> there are plenty of pubs on the west coast god there was man those breweries were just they were snaking us yeah. in every five minutes uh, there's a lot of good beer out there the ipas the ipas gotta love them so we're getting kind of uh, deep into it. Um, maybe just kind of ask you a few more little questions here and there, and then we'll wrap it up. But uh, maybe, do you have any other influences over the year? Um, people growing up that kind of might have steered your view into into some of the things you're doing now with adventure and just with the landscaping stuff. Is there anyone that kind of stands out, or even maybe someone that's just like uh, that you think of as successful out there in the public eye? Um, you know, what what people I mean, as inspire far you? As like, as far as like heroes in my life, I mean, I've got my celebrity like heroes that have kind of guided me through my life. Like, my uh, uh, biggest influence in my life growing up was Jim Carrey, <laughs> which is sort of an <laughs> offshoot because he was just another poor kid like growing up in Canada, yeah. like living in a tent on his parents' lawn, and uh, you know rose above it and like kept his spirits up. So that was a big one growing up. That's true. Uh, All the say, damn good Canadian or. Uh... <laughs> The damn good comedians are Canadian. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them are. Yeah, yeah. definitely a lot of funny people my up favorites. here. <laughs> yeah, I agree. There's a lot of good ones up here. But uh, I think my biggest influence would definitely be my mom. Like growing up, she was uh, she's always the biggest influence in anyone's life. The mother is yeah. someone you go to. But she was a real uh, freedom fighter, and she kind of taught me uh, not to take shit from from government and from uh, and from the top down. You know. 
because she kind of got the shit end of the stick just being a single mother and being an empowered woman Mm -hmm. and someone who wanted to kind of break social norms and she wouldn't take it. I've got this great newspaper article from her where she was trying to get uh, something adjusted in like civic government. She was always working on the, on the micro level, which she taught me was the most important thing, you know, Mm -hmm. like change your environment before you try to change the world. And they told her that you, you can't do it. Like, that's just the way it is. Like, this is the way it is. This is the, this is city hall. And they've decided that they're going to do this. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Uh, you can't fight city hall. And she just like said to the paper, like, man, when you've got your government officials telling you, you can't fight city <laughs> hall, you've got a serious problem. Like yeah. that's a really big problem. And I think that's where a lot of us have gotten to is just this like place of complacency where we think that, you know what, like the elected people, they do what they do and there's nothing you can do about it. So you might yeah, as well just deal just with apathy, it and move I with guess. your life. Apathy yeah. is right now. And so she taught me not to be apathetic. She taught me that if you want to see something change, like you can change it. And originally in my life, I thought that was going to be like a career in politics. I thought I was going to be out there trying to save the world. Uh, but more and more as I've been getting older, I'm realizing that I can't have as much influence in that realm as I want, but I can really influence my own life, mm-hmm. which will bring me to uh, another one of my biggest influences, which is my good friend, uh, Luke Devillier. And he'd probably laugh at that because we live like a very similar life, like the two of us. Yeah. He looks at it, uh, he's like a musician and his kind of focus in life has just what? been... Hey, I'm, I'm in an interview here, man. Calm yourself. <laughs> but uh, he, he's a musician, and his focus in life has always been that he wants to play music, and that's all that matters. And he's worked an endless amount of jobs. We've worked tons of jobs together. I think that's a shine of a, a good friendship. It's something that you can actually spend that much time with and not yeah. come to hate. And he's never really sacrificed uh, anything of, like to as far as it comes to the music. He's willing to sacrifice anything for the music. He's mm-hmm. lost jobs to play gigs. He's you know, lost friendships to, uh, keep, keep his music going, you know, like his, everything has always just been fixated on that. And to see somebody who's that dedicated to their passions and have them like close to you has been really inspiring for me. And it's kind of allowed me, or at least showed me that when I get like in my head that I have to do a trip or I have to buy a business or I have to do anything. Like if you fully devote yourself to something, you can really make it happen. So that's really been a good, a good influence in my life. Yeah, that's a great one. It's good to have people like that around. Totally, man. How about yourself, John? Who would you say is the uh, biggest influence in your oh, life? Jeez, I don't know. Keep going. <laughs> don't, don't turn this around on me. <laughs> Who's interviewing who, buddy? <laughs> Steve, everyone's always like, Steve Jobs. <laughs> Fuck Steve Jobs. He worked himself to the death. IPhone. Yeah, I know. I don't want to live that kind of life. <laughs> Fucking suicidal bastard. No way. No, Ralph Nader. You want to go big? Go Ralph Nader. <laughs> yeah, Ralph Nader. That's the man right there. I love me some Ralph Nader. So how about uh, what? what's kind of the next steps with your business? Do you have any kind of plans there or where you want to steer it towards? As of, as of right now, I kind of need to uh, redouble my efforts as far as marketing because mm-hmm. I've got uh, a good influence. I actually ended up on the news just uh, the other day talking about uh, how to save your lawn during the drought. <laughs> and, uh, oh, Nice. Yeah, but I didn't get a single phone call from it. And I know my biggest issue right now is that I've got this junky website that I bought and I haven't put any effort into it. So one thing I need to sit down is really uh, sit down and do is rebuild my website, kind of build up my social media presence, like build up my, my marketing yeah, yeah. and expand my client base. But um, my biggest goal as of right now is I'd like to get to the point where I can find somebody who is in my position a few years ago that like wants to be running the company and wants mm-hmm. to have 
access to the tools in the truck. And I'd like to bring that person in to run the business while I go on this trip and give them the opportunity to get their feet wet and also have somebody who I can trust that's not going to, you know, drive the business into the ground while I'm gone. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, so it's it's tough, but I mean, I, I think I've met a few people already through school and just other people in the industry that I think would be good fits. Um, and I'm going to go back to school this fall. I'm taking a, an organic master gardener's course. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, which should be cool. It's uh, this teacher, Amanda Jarrett, who I studied with over the winter. And she's just phenomenal. Uses like great expressions like full tilt boogie. <laughs> <laughs> full tilt boogie. You don't want to put your hostas in full tilt boogie sun. <laughs> They'll go right to a crisp. <laughs> is that a technical term? <laughs> that's a technical term, John. That's botany. That's, uh, that's straight up botany right there. <laughs> so so do- yeah, that's my current goal is to expand my knowledge and to uh, try to grow the business to a place where I can, I can let go of it for a little while. Yeah, and go on a, a little path of self-discovery. See what I can learn along the way. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want to. I mean, so many people that have their own business become stuck in that position where they they feel like they can never leave it. You know, and then yeah, you know, fifty years later, they've never taken a vacation. And you know, yeah. some people do the humble brag, but you know, really, I mean, who wants to live like that? Come on. <laughs> no, not at all, man. Get a life. That's why I, why I got into the business was to work less and make more. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it worked out great. My first year, I did like four days a month, and I was making as much as I was working for <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So it was good, but like, this I've got grander ambitions now. I want yeah. to see if I can start uh, kind of changing the way people design their yards in Vancouver. Yeah, you have some great ideas, and uh, it's a lot of stuff that I've never even thought about. I mean, I'm kind of out in the boonies here right now in Ohio. where yeah. uh, <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot of fields, but they're all corn. It's, yeah. all, it's, all, it's all hashtag corn out here. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's actually that's the biggest issue. Like, I just was uh, listening to this interview with, um, like, the best. Uh, uh, what do they call them? A pot, a No, that's not what it is. Uh, the guys who take care of bees. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the name, but yeah, I can't remember the name. But let's, let's call him a beekeeper. <laughs> yeah, there you go, a beekeeper. I don't know his Latin name, but that's all good. I don't know most of the plants' Latin names either. <laughs> but anyways, best beekeeper in Vancouver. Uh, he was on the news the other day talking about uh, the bee populations and things you can do to help. And if you see a swarm on your property, like you can call this hotline and this guy will come and collect the bees <laughs> to yeah. make sure that you don't go out and kill them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's what most people's first reaction is. Where's the raid can? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Get them out of here. They're murderers. But uh, what he was saying that actually was which was kind of shocking to me is that bee populations in cities are actually growing like they're expanding. And oh, it's only in rural areas like uh, like yourself out there in Ohio or mm-hmm. Iowa or or any of like the the breadbasket areas of the country like in Canada, be Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. Um, the bees are dying off there because uh, the monocrop system. We grow yeah. Yeah. these huge expanding fields with one crop, and so they only eat flowers, right? So only when the plant is in flower do they have food. And if you've got one crop, they get one huge boon of food, like uh-huh. this massive like smorgasbord, and then it's gone. And there's nothing else to eat. And that's what's killing the bee populations. That's and interesting. aside from also the pesticide and like uh, all the other things yeah, that we're doing yeah. to try to. Uh, so that's, really getting off of that monocrop system and off of agribusness is going to be a. So that's a, a damn corn lobbyists. Damn corn lobbyists. <sighs> but the thing is, is like you can you can still grow corn. You just have to plant some squash and some. Well, yeah. I mean, like back in the day, that's you know? you know when you had a farm, you would plant all kinds of different foods. You didn't just plant one one yeah you know acres and acres of one thing 
Yeah, it's just the damn old uh, Henry Ford and his assembly line yeah. that kind of taught us uh, to stay on one path. Yeah, I mean it, it has its it has its pluses, but I think we've overdone it. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think they outweigh the negatives. Is yeah. what, the, what it comes down yeah, to, and that's and that's where like I don't understand business people because when I look at uh, kind of the troubles that mankind is facing right now, I just see like you know what's cost, like what's your input and output, like what's cost and what's value. And to me, it seems that we're running up a huge cost without any profit. Like we're not profiting off of this current system. I mean, they're profiting financially. Yeah, but a few companies are profiting. But but if they're going to die and all their clients are going to die, are they really profiting? <laughs> you know, like are you being a success if you're killing your entire client base? Which is yeah, yeah, they, the planet people, Earth. I just don't think people believe that that's a possibility. It's... Yeah, I know. It seems too big for to wrap your head around, but you know. And co- I mean, gotta, we're we're finally. I mean, there's like, there's Whole Foods and stuff like that. But I feel like we're finally starting to become somewhat conscious of what we eat and eliminating things like corn syrup and every single food item. Yeah. So totally. Making some yeah, progress, but we need we need more. We need more berries yeah. in our backyards. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they're easy to grow too. So keep that in mind. They're they're perennials. So they'll just do their thing. So kind of as a last a last thing, do you, do you have any like daily rituals or just kind of things that you do to kind of keep your mind focused and straight and kind of, you know, on, on your path or you just um, kind of always chill and <laughs> this, <laughs> I'm kind of chilling for the most part, but, uh, I'd say like two things that have been really good for me and my development of self. Uh, one is, is stretching and yoga mm-hmm. is, is really good for me. I'm definitely not a daily yogi. Um, but whenever I find myself in times of trouble, uh, mother yoga calls to me <laughs> and I just take a deep breath. I think actually breathing, that's the most important thing you can take out of yoga is just to, yeah. whenever you feel stressed or you're having issues, just take a few deep breaths and see if it, you can change your perspective on things. And, uh, reading is the other one for me. I've been like a book, a bookworm since I was a little kid. And, um, that always really helps me like change my perspective on things. Uh, just reading like a good piece of of literature. I mean, it's like when you watch one of the greatest movies, right? Like it always just leaves an effect on you. And with a good piece of literature, there's a little aspect of work that goes along with it, even though it is pleasure reading. Yeah, you know, it's like something you're doing for fun, but you I find you earn it a little more. It's like doing that bike tour, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to uh, driving in a car down the road or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Driving in a car. That's a perfect example. That's a perfect example. So there's something to that. And uh, I got one piece of advice out of like some trashy fantasy novel I read when I was a kid. And it was, uh, don't think of the problem, think of the solution. And I think that's good advice for anybody. Like when you have something in front of you that seems daunting, like quit thinking about how daunting it is and just think about how you're going to fix it. And you'll find that you'll start moving and you'll get it done. That's true. Yeah. So much of our attitudes and mindset are based on what we focus on. So yeah. Problem, problem's bad. Solution's good. Exactly. <laughs> and there's an infinite amount of them out there. It's just a matter of putting them, uh, putting them in action. What, what books are you reading right now? Do you have any, anything to recommend? Uh, I got uh, Steinbeck going the go oh, at yeah. the moment. I'm reading uh, The Winter of Our Discontent, which is not as dreary as it sounds. It's actually pretty funny. <laughs> it's got some, some good little bits. Um, and I'm also reading a book out of Canada called uh, The Golden Spruce. Uh, which is about uh, sort of a ceremony, like a sacred tree that used to exist up in Haida Gwaii, which is uh, an island north of Vancouver Island. 
and it's the story of the guy who cut it down. <laughs> <laughs> Is this sort of like the uh, the goose that go- laid the golden egg, except in tree form or something? <laughs> kind of like that. I mean, it was just this one tree that was like a couple hundred years old, yeah. and it was the only one of these spruce that had golden boughs. Like the foliage is always green, but this one had golden boughs. But it was oh, wow. still photosynthesizing. It was just like this weird mutation. And to the natives, it was totally sacred. And to anybody who happened to like go by the coast and see it, it was also. So this is actually a true story then. Yeah, it's a true story about this guy. Some guy cut it down. uh, He cut it down, man. He cut it down. Was he just like, I just needed some wood. Sorry, guys. Uh, I I think it was more so like it was the golden egg. Like he was like, I'm going to harvest that tree. I'm going to get that one because it's Uh so valuable. But I've only started the book, so I can't tell you too much about it. But yeah, it's actually really neat because the book uh, it goes into the history of the the natives of that region, and I'll tell you, man, the Haida Indians they're they're an interesting bunch, just war hungry master sailors like on an island that is completely unreachable by the average man. Oh, wow. So they were like the slave traders of the West Coast. Like they would just come down to the other islands in the mainland, slaughter tribes, <laughs> steal tons of people, and bring them back there to be their slaves and just live this like fat life of parties and they were kind of like the Vikings of, of this side of the world. <laughs> yeah, totally. They were totally our Vikings. And they had crazy canoes, man, like hundred foot long canoes that they'd be out there just ripping around the that's ocean nuts. and like that's... yeah it's super cool so it's a good little piece of history at yeah the same time. that sounds like a good book <laughs> yeah man <laughs> highly <it> recommend it <laughs> all right man I, I really appreciate you doing this um you had a ton of great insights and good stories and i miss hanging out man it was it was a, a fun trip and you know i mean we only we only hung out for like a week and a half or two weeks you know <laughs> just yeah. met on the road and, right uh, you know i feel like i feel like i just talked to you a couple days ago so that's that's another beauty of these kind of adventures. You just meet people and make connections so quick. So that's, totally, man. that's another part of why I love it so much. But um, hopefully we could do another talk soon. Hopefully we can ride again together, ride in the wind. I agree, man. <laughs> I would love to do a ride the wind with you again, as long as there's no HWs. <laughs> those damn HWs. <laughs> Don't God talk about HWs. the W. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Frank, I really appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. Hey, no problem, John. I hope we got some good material there. <laughs> Definitely. Have a good one. All right. Cheers, brother. All right. So you can follow me, John Jerko, at John Jerko on Twitter and Instagram and find out more about Odyssey and Muse, including the show notes for each episode at odysseyandmuse.com. But most importantly, go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate the show. That's how the show gets noticed and grows. So thank you for listening. And until next time, follow your true north.